Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Donald McIntyre, and this is Murderers and Their Mothers, the companion podcast to the CBS reality series, which airs every Sunday from the 15th of May at 10 p.m. Now, throughout this series, we're investigating some of the world's most notorious killers and asking, were these murderers born evil or did their relationships with their mothers make them into monsters? And on today's episode, we look at the case of Joachim Kinehawa, the Polish serial killer who earned the ghoulish nickname Frankenstein, a reference to his method of murder. He would attack his victims with an axe and would often butcher and despoil their bodies. It took the police eight years to track him down, and in that time, he brutally murdered five women and attempted to murder another seven. Well, joining me to discuss the Joachim Kinehawa case are Dr. Elizabeth Yardley, Liz, as we know her, the director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. And also Justina Kopinska, an investigative journalist, award-winning investigative journalist from Poland. Welcome, Justina. Thank you. Joachim Kinehawa was born on the 8th of September 1952 in Bytom, an industrial city in Poland. His mother was German and father Polish, a somewhat toxic mix in post-war Poland. The marriage was frowned upon and cracks very soon developed, resulting in his dad leaving when Joachim was just two years of age. So let's have a look at the early years of Joachim in more detail. Justina, how much stigma was attached to that marriage? Joachim, he was just born like in 1952, so it was only a few years after the Second World War. And we know uh, for a fact that other children, they were laughing at small Joachim just because his mother, Anna, was German. So for him, he was more and more lonely. He felt that he's alone. He felt that it's unfair. And it caused so many conflicts in his family. And he had no support outside of the home either, did he? So, so even within his, his family unit, he was stigmatised and he was made to feel different. And he couldn't find any support from the local kids in the community. And also his grandmother, she was disappointed that her daughter, a German daughter, ch- chose a, a Polish husband. So she didn't respect her daughter and she was also very cruel to a small uh, Joachim. And of course his father... Uh, was Polish and uh, had a very serious problem with alcohol. It's uh, such a typical for serial killers. Like, I think most of serial killers have someone in family who was an alcoholic. We have uh, so many cases like that in in Poland and probably here as well. And we know he was a loner at school and he was called a smelly kraut. And this clearly must have affected him, Liz. Mm, I mean, he's isolated on so many different levels. So he's isolated within his family because of of who his father is and his his grandmother not approving of the relationship between 
between his mother and father. And then you've got him being fatherless. And this is a community where, you know, the male breadwinner traditional family is is quite a strong thing. And, and lots of the young boys in the community look up to their dads and, and their dads are minors. And, and, and that kind of family unit is quite important for, for people's identity. So, so he hasn't got anything in common with people around him at all. So he's different by every measure. His mother is German, his father is an alcoholic and leaves the home. Can we build up a picture, Liz, of what his home life was like, his daily excursions, school and home life? How did that work out? Well, he was he was quite neglected, to be honest. And he's the, the only child, so he's feeling the full force of, of the neglect and the abuse that, that goes on within this family. So, so he is completely alone. He doesn't have anybody to support him at home or outside of home. And financially, mm-hmm. Justina, the family are struggling. Yes, the, the family was very poor and also the, uh, the, the children left at Joachim uh, just because he was poor. He didn't have uh, nice clothes, sometimes he was dirty. And he, his mother tried to change this situation. She worked really hard, she has uh, two jobs. But after the Second World War in Poland, men, they, have, they could earn much more money than women. So they, they were still poor even if she worked like, so hard. So Joachim felt like it's so unfair. And at this stage we know that his mother seeks the company of other men and bizarrely, and this must have had a profound effect on him, had sex with these men in front of Joachim. Now what kind of psychological scars are being formed here, Justina? I think he started to see women as sinners. Before he saw his mother as some kind of Madonna that uh, she's without any sin and then something changed and he started to be also afraid of women, probably because he didn't have this role model as a father and he didn't know how to build a relationship, he didn't know how, how to uh, be close with women. So so it changed him completely. And he doesn't have any idea of boundaries around appropriate sexual behaviour. Being exposed to this at, at quite a young age is something that, that is really kind of setting his, his moral compass completely off kilter. So, so he's got none of those, those usual filters on his behaviour you know, when he gets a little bit older and, and starts having urges and desires himself. How was the role of the mother viewed in Poland at this time. The mother was like the most important person in the family and he really wanted to have like a warm person. I think that Joachim wanted someone that could be close to him and he felt like he couldn't trust anyone, like he couldn't rely on anybody. And he's he's seeing the relationships that other boys are having with their mothers in the local community and, and at school, and he's he's fast realising that that my family is something different. You know, this this isn't normal. Joachim and his mom share their very small family flat with his grandmother, who helps with childcare while her daughter is out at work. However, she's a very domineering, somewhat cruel woman who often uses corporal punishment to discipline Joachim. Now, grandparents are normally loving people, and it appears that Joachim's grandmother is the very opposite of this. 
she beaten up uh, Joachim in front of other kids, in front of other children. She doesn't respect his feelings. But actually, we don't know why she behaved like that. Probably she saw in small Joachim his father, and she was really angry that her daughter chose a Polish husband. I mean, I think what she's seeing in Joachim is this hangover from her, her daughter's relationship with a husband that she was never going to approve of. So, yeah, every time she, she looked at him, she, she made that association rather than, you know, taking the view that this is an innocent child who, who's come into the world and we need to look after him. He is half his father. And I think that that's what, what is driving some of her behaviour. And of course, I suppose we didn't mention it before, but it's worth mentioning is, of course, this part of Poland had been annexed back to Poland in the post-war politics. Exactly. And I think that she was sure that Joachim will be the same as his father. And also she probably wanted to live in a Germany. She would prefer that her daughter Anna would have a, a German husband and then she could leave this side of the border. Describe the kind of physical abuse she made Joachim endure. She beaten Joachim up in front of other children. She used any kind of object that she she found to do that. She also do some psychological damage to Joachim. She ate in front of him really delicious food and gave him the worst food we can imagine. She didn't respect his mother also in front of uh, him. So he, he felt like she, there's no one that he can rely on. And was there some suggestion that she used a poker to beat him and even, you know, to uh, a hot poker to abuse him? Yeah, there was there was an awful lot of sadistic behaviour that was was going on in in this house because she did see this this child as this this kind of vile aberration. He was something that was a burden that was getting in her way. That that was something that constantly reminded her of of her daughter's you know failed marriage essentially. So let's get a sense of this is a grandmother who's supposed to be a protective, loving, a kind of with an armchair of protection to her grandson the opposite, and a mother who's supposed to intervene and protect. And in many ways, she's a victim of abuse from the grandmother, but also doesn't protect her son from this and also inflicts some damage and neglect upon him. He's in a very tragic position here. Mm. This is a really, really toxic family. You've got victimisation, you've got brutalisation. It's just not the kind of childhood that that you'd expect or or that, that he's seeing, you know, his peers experience. To what degree is this kind of violence and sadistic maltreatment becoming normalised for him? Well, it, it is becoming, and, and the term that we sometimes use is, is norming it out. It, it's becoming normal. Um, so he's coming to accept that, well, this is family life for me. You know, this is how you behave. Um, but he's also seeing, you know, within the community that, that there are other families where, where this, you know, clearly doesn't go on. So so he knows that, that he's different and he knows that what he's experiencing at home is, is abnormal. But, but there's no escape from it. To what degree, Justina, does he blame his mother for leaving him at home and in the hands of this very cruel and sadistic grandmother? At first, he didn't blame his mother. He just hated his grandmother and he didn't want to spend time with, uh, with her. But when he was older, he started to also disrespect his mother and then everything changed. He started to blame her also for spending time with the grandmother. Uh, I think that he couldn't read his own feelings. It was everything like so messed. But now we have a case where his violence is being normalised, there's sadism, that kind of cruelty, 
and his protective figures, those women in his life, his grandmother and his mother, are now huge points of resentment. Mm. Again, this is another escalation, isn't it, Mm. in terms of his future pathology, Liz? Yeah, I think it is laying the foundations for what he'd go on to become. And, And what we've got here is is somebody who's who's taking you know violence as as something that's normal. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As Joachim grows older, he's often teased by his peers for being beaten up by an old woman, his grandmother. And perhaps not surprisingly, he's also a bit of a loner. He eventually falls in with the wrong crowd, a group of older boys who've been held back at school. At this stage, he gets involved in many fights, but perhaps more worryingly, he starts to show the very first signs of aggression towards women. Here's Craig Jackson, Professor of Psychology at Birmingham City University. So in his teenage years, Nihawa starts to become more physical and more aggressive. I'm sure there would be some elements of projection here, living out the frustrations he must have had as a small boy, and now he's gaining pleasure from seeing what happens when he controls and dominates other people. Now, in terms of his physical aggression as a young boy growing up on the streets in Poland, you know, some of that behaviour, aggression, that's kind of normal. So, I mean, without trying to catastrophize it and sow the seeds and, mm. you know, build links where there aren't links. But in terms of his physicality, what concerns you about this? Well, I think if we look at you know, his peers around him, there is going to be, you know, some degree of, of violence and aggression there because of the, the, the ideas about masculinity. You know, it's lads messing around, there's rough and tumble and, and all of that kind of thing. But most of these lads haven't come from the kind of household that, that he has. So I think whereas for, for other boys, you know, this is just a, a part of, of growing up and, and teenage, teenage behaviour, for him it's something that's further cementing this this kind of toxic personality. To what degree is his behaviour different at this stage to other teenage boys? He definitely started those fights to impress the other boys, but then he saw that he's different, that when he sees blood, he hit even stronger. He admitted that he's excited when he sees the blood. So we know from his prison diaries, and he's always have to be careful about a post-conviction narrative yes. from serial killers, and we know that from a number of cases, Liz. Mm. But we know, or he suggests, that he seems to really enjoy this violence. For the very first time, we're getting a, a window into really a kind of the, the an embryonic killer. He's come to associate violence with power and control and this is somebody who's had very little power very little control in his life to this point and now he's got an opportunity to pull some of that back. 
So he finds out that violence is a way to control people and to get your own way. Exactly. But then he saw that during this time, because of fights, he has like really poor marks. And he he had that dream, like a huge dream that he he will get to the sailing school. So actually he he, he were trying. It, it, this is like the point in his life that he, for the first time, he tried to change I think it's worth saying at this stage that he was a bright kid mm-hmm. and by and large he was rather focused on escaping this coal mining region and joining nautical school and had all the ability to do this. But his desperate need to seek self-esteem and to join those lads in those very mm-hmm. masculine fights and, you know, that kind of lost his way a bit in school and had repercussions. Yeah, he's got this constant conflict going on of, of wanting to escape and, and wanting to belong, and, and he can't do both at the same time. So so when he's working hard at school, he, he's not getting in with the local lads and he's being further excluded. But when it's the other way around, you know, he's, he's always in that, that constant state of flux at this point in time. I'm always quite... When we hit the what ifs, and we'll have some more of this later on, um, you know, I always think this is a crossroads we should really flag up. Mm-hmm. Because if he was actually at this stage to get into nautical school, have that dream fulfilled, his self esteem elevated, he may never have become the killer that we know him today. It is possible. And if someone could help him during that that time, I think he was like smart. He was a really pretty boy. He was like good looking man after. So it's like he had all those things like really intelligent, smart kid who has the dreams. Mm-hmm. He, he could become something. He just everything changed when he didn't get to this school. Well, if we thought life was hard for Joachim at this stage, it was to get even harder. Aged 18, he's charged with attempted rape and sentenced to three years in prison for something he sees as a major injustice, Justina. He saw it as an injustice just because he, he was there during the rape but as an observer. So he felt like he didn't do anything and why he had to go to prison for like three years. Can you explain uh, to listeners exactly what happened, Justina? Actually, we don't know exactly what happened. Some, from some documents, we know that the, the girl wasn't raped at all. The boys, the group of boys, were only trying to rape her. And Joachim was one of the boys who observed that. And from other documents, we know that she was raped, but still he wasn't like the one who was the aggressor, the main aggressor. So he definitely felt that it's unfair. So I get the sense that he's particularly isolated as part of this criminal investigation because he he is poor because his family has no status. There's no man protecting them, fighting his corner. And worse than this, when he gets the court, his mother doesn't take his side and support him and gives him a defence. His mother takes the side of the victim and that has a profound impact upon him. Mm, absolutely, because I think this is the final nail in the coffin of his relationship with his, his mother. You know, at a time when, when you'd expect mothers to be, you know, at least supporting, if not condoning, you know, what their sons do. She's not there. And once again, he started to be afraid of women like his grandmother, mother and the victim. And he really wanted to, like punish them for being in prison. He sees at this point in time that that women have solidarity with each other. They support each other. And I don't come into this at all. They're all out to get me. This anger boiled in him and he started to hate actually all women. 
And of course, this isolation, now in prison, a very profound sense of isolation, a practical sense of isolation, has been driven by the two women in his life, his grandmother and his mother. And at this stage, his hatred for them both or is it just towards his grandmother is profound, Justina? At this stage, he had this fantasies that he would like to kill his grandmother. So probably the the hate towards his grandmother was stronger than, than to mother. I think he still loved his mother and he really wanted to get her attention, but he never did in the future. Yeah, he, he is absolutely, you know, pitted against women at this point in time. He's he's blaming them for, for all of the, the trauma and the, the violence and the neglect and injustice that he's experienced. And he's more and more fascinated with, like, blood or murderers. He started to read all those criminal books and also he started to read books about the Second World War. At this age, he, he was dreaming about what he will do when he will get out of the prison. So when he's in prison, he's feasting his resentments and hatred upon books about serial killings, about death, gore and blood. And in this kind of environment, he won't have any female role models, any women around him to to counterbalance those negative experiences he's had with women to date. He's going to be in prison alongside lots of other men who are probably, you know, sharing similar views and expressing similar opinions about the women in their lives. On his release from prison, Joachim gets a job and becomes a minor. And he also falls in love with a woman called Helena, who he marries. What then follows is the start of a bizarre double life. On the face of it, he's a loving husband and eventually a good father. But it's during this period he begins to murder. In fact, he kills his first victim just a month after his wedding. So, Liz, why did he commit murder when seemingly he had it all? I think what we got to remember about his his family life and his marriage was that was a performance to hold off the outside world, to hold off any scrutiny. So, so as long as he looks like you know a normal guy, you know, with a wife and he's working as a miner, you know, he is you know the image of masculinity that that men are supposed to be. That is going to kind of hold off some of the criticism and some of the scrutiny. So, what's driving him to kill? You know, is he sexually aroused? Is this what's driving him? And then he wants to impose his control over the body? Well, I think what's gone on here is it's been a really lengthy developmental process in, in the making of a murderer. So so he's had this horrible family life where his mother and his grandmother have been, been violent and, and generally really quite vile towards him. And then he's, he's resolved, you know, during his childhood and adolescence, I'm going to get my own back, I'm going to make things equal and even. And now he's got the opportunity to do that. So he's getting all of his ducks in a row and he's embarking upon and- this spree. And describe his first murder. He planned it and he was thinking a lot about like what, what would be the perfect tool to murder. He chose the axe just because he could find it in any basement and he, he knew that the police will not find it after, afterwards. And he just followed the woman. He knew already, probably from those books, that he needed to do everything very fast. And he was really fast and very strong. And he just hit her in the, with the axe in the head. And he obviously still had these soft skills, the ability to charm. As you said, Justine, he was a good-looking guy. So he knew first contact would have been very pleasant and uh, engaging and then a brutal attack. Mm. And, and this is what, what 
many people find quite confusing about him. He appeared to be yeah, a normal, regular guy, but he was going out committing these horrendous crimes. And one of the things we've got to remember about people like this is they don't feel very much emotion themselves. They are essentially emotionally empty, but they're very well attuned to the emotions of other people. So they know exactly the right things to say at the right time to get what they want. Explain to me what's going on. Why is he abusing, defiling the dead body? Yeah, he's incredibly parasitic. He's getting everything out of these women that he possibly can. So not only is he taking their lives and killing them in a very brutal way, he's getting sexual gratification from it as well. So so he's he's of the view that women are there to be used and, and abused, and, and that's what he does when he kills them in the ways that he does. And he wants to feel power as long as possible. So there were a couple of crossroads in his teenage years and childhood where he could have gone a different direction. He could have got into nautical school. That could have changed his life. But as a killer, there was also an opportunity where he seemed to change direction. His victims up to this point are women. But 1979, it's clear he seems to change direction and he attacks two young girls who are not even in their teens. One dies and the other escapes. Why did he suddenly target these very young girls? As he mentioned in his diaries, he he was just there by accident. He was just in the forest and he saw two girls. They were looking for berries and he just decided to kill them in this in this moment. The, the one of them was able to escape. The second one was killed. And after that, there were like so many discussions. He, he heard them in the shops or even his own family was talking about this murder and they called the guy the murderer of the kids and he really wanted like this was his plan from the beginning that he will he will be called the most famous murderer of women after the second world war so he felt offended and i think this is a really interesting point in time isn't it because people like Wahim, they are psychopaths so they are prisoners of of the present and they will follow whatever it is that they they want to do at, at any point in time so so at this point in time he's got this opportunity that's presented itself so whether it is because one of them said something rude and he, he reacted in this way or whether he saw them and he saw an opportunity you know he was he was going to seize that opportunity and I think he'd just become a little bit too bold at this point and often when we look at psychopaths and we look at their their killing behaviors that the ones that are murderous there's a proneness to boredom. There's a need for stimulation. So often they start targeting different types of victims. They start killing in different sorts of ways simply because they're just trying to mix things up a bit. Well, to add to this incredibly confusing and disturbing picture, Joachim begins an affair with his wife's sister. The affair lasted three years before she became his final victim. He hit her with a pickaxe and then sexually abused her dead body. He claimed she'd been killed in a terrible accident and he'd stumbled and the pickaxe had fallen upon her. This affair is, is really is quite profound. It breaks all sorts of rules. She was 15 when the affair started and it was his wife's sister. Mm. I mean, there are lots of no-go zones there. Yeah, and you, and you could say, well, why, why on earth was he doing this? Well, because he wanted to and, and because, because he, he could. could. Exactly. 
I think he didn't plan to kill her at all. Actually, he had, he had some feelings to her, to Bogusia. He he saw that she's like completely different than his wife, and she made him laugh. She he was like he he really enjoyed spending time with her. But then she wanted to tell about the relationship to her sister, uh, to Halina, and uh, Joachim started to be afraid that he will lose the his family. Yeah, and and this is the point where where it really does come down to to him getting rid of her because she served her purpose. He's enjoyed spending time with her. He's enjoyed having sex with her, uh, and now you know she's she's threatening to put in jeopardy his his cover story. So he just needs to dispose of her at this point. Explain exactly how that relationship begins to un- unravel. Because usually uh, Joachim, with all his murders, he was very careful. He really wanted to to be smarter than Polish police. And with this case, I think the alcohol had like huge impact on him. He just uh, one night before he killed Bogusia, he was at the party and he was drinking heavily all night. And I think he didn't think clearly. He wanted to kill her as fast as possible. He did it in the forest, but he made so many mistakes that it was like actually clear to the police that he is the one who who did it. There's a sense here that before we get to exactly how he was caught, it seems to me at this stage, this is a man who's been fantasizing about serial killers, about, you know, winning his these secret battles with the police. He wanted to be the, you know, Poland's most renowned serial killer. But that's fine, but there's no point making serial killing, you know, your performance art if no one gets to hear about it. There's a little sense in me that this is where he kind of wanted to get caught. Yeah, it does appear that, that this is the point at which, you know, he wants that recognition for, for what it is that, that he's done. But but I, I'm not too sure whether, whether that is what's going on here. I think he is just simply becoming too bold. He's pushing too many boundaries. He's going to get noticed. He's going to get arrested and, and sent down for a long time. Uh, and now, you know, he wants something else, you know, that there needs to be something else there for him. So I think he, he then hooks on to this idea of celebrity. So explain to me exactly how he got caught and how he killed her on that fateful day. They went for a walk and then he killed her her from behind and she didn't scream at all. Probably he wanted to spend some time with her dead body because he took her clothes and then he had sex with her. So also police... uh, the pathologist noticed the victim's clothes had been put on in an uh, odd way and the traces of sperm were found on her body. So th- that is how he got caught, actually. And then when police used the light detector, they saw that the, his reactions to uh, other murderers were really strange. Do you think he feels any guilt after this particular moment? Because we know he goes on to pretend as if this is an accident. Oh, God, no. no absolutely no, no guilt. No. Does he no. feel any guilt? He doesn't feel any guilt or he doesn't have any empathy. So yeah. he's desperately trying to get away with it now. Yeah, he's got the job done and that's all that matters. And I, actually, I think he wanted to be caught. He, he really wanted to be famous and he, he just killed... Bogusia to, to, to be caught. It was one of the reasons. Now, Justina, I take your point there. Any serial killer who confesses to their crimes under a bit of police duress, you know, seemingly is about to enjoy and about to celebrate the fact, the infamy he's going to get for being a serial killer. 
exactly. I think you want, uh, the the light detec detector was important in that case, but it, like the most important was that he wanted to be caught and he didn't want to spend uh, time in prison. He didn't want to spend his life in prison. He wanted to be hanged. He he wanted the death penalty. So that's why he revealed all the crimes he did. Yeah, it's that sense of grandiosity, isn't it, that really is coming out here. He's got away with this for, for so long and, and now he wants to claim all of the credit for, for absolutely everything he's done. In his own mind, he's achieved what he set out to be and then he gets to achieve his own exit on his own terms, that by hanging. He's fully in control, isn't he, at, at every stage you know, along this, this murderous journey. I think he really wanted to be famous and that is why he created this diaries and he wrote all about the, his grandmother and mother. We know that this story is true. They really beaten him up. But also he, he wanted us to feel somehow to research more or to check facts or to, to be interested in him. And he knows exactly what to say that it is that people want to hear. So, in his diaries. Yeah, so, so he's, he's presenting himself in this role as as the victim you know even though that abuse did happen it was corroborated by by other sources it's a very powerful narrative the role of diaries in convicted serial killers can we believe what they say justina because we've seen this with many serial killers we've seen it with uh, dennis nielsen you know, his, his prison diaries we've seen with kuklinski's his publicity and performance afterwards but you know, can we believe what he said in his prison diaries? No, not really. I think they, they always create themselves. They, they always show only what, what they want us to see. But diary can be helpful. We, after reading the, his diary, we can check some facts about his mother, his grandmother, and get some more information. But on the issue of whether he was a psychopath, where do you stand on that? I think he's he's displaying an awful lot of psychopathic traits and behaviours. So the the shallow affect, the, there isn't that depth or complexity of emotion that the rest of us have. There's, there's a lack of remorse, there's grandiosity, there's superficial charm. So he's ticking a lot of those psychopathy boxes for me. Do you think he was a psychopath, Justine? I think he was definitely the, uh, a psychopath because psychopaths are often really good lawyers or doctors. But with this case, with Joachim, he was psychopath plus he he was beaten up by his mother by by his grandmother he was lonely he was outsider and this mixture made him a, a murderer in the future well professor craig jackson from birmingham city university is clear where he believes the blame lies his mother and grandmother took a child mistreated that child and abused that child to the point that they've created the hallmarks of a monster well do you think that craig's assessment there that his grandmother and mother took a child and moulded him into the murderer he became. Is that a fair assessment from Craig? Yeah, I'd agree wholeheartedly with that because they've, they have, you know, created the foundations upon which, you know, the psychopathic murderer can be built. And if it wasn't for them putting those building blocks in place, then we could be looking at a very different reality. And the Akim Knehawa killed only women, actually. So he wanted to take revenge. He was afraid of his grandmother. He was afraid of mother. And he was afraid of the victim of the first rape uh, after, after which he went to the prison. So he, he just wanted to take revenge and feel in control, feel power. 
Yeah, those attachments that he didn't form with his mother and his grandmother in his early years really went on to shape the relationships that he'd go on to have with women. A couple of final questions which still intrigue me. Why didn't he kill his grandmother as he became an adult killer or indeed kill his own mother? Well, they're prisoners of the present, so it's very much what they want to do in that current moment at that particular time. So if there's nothing to gain from from killing the mother or the grandmother, then he's not going to do it. But if the opportunity presents itself, then then he probably is. He chose to uh, kill only strangers because he didn't want to be a catch at that point of his life. If he would kill his grandmother, I think it would be so obvious to police who did it. He told everyone that he hated his grandmother. So he just didn't want to be catch. He's he's not stupid, is he? He he knows that that would lead right to his door. Joachim Kinehawa became one of the last people to be hanged in Poland when he was executed in 1985. The Frankenstein killer was no more. Well, thank you to my guests, Dr Elizabeth Yardley and Justina Kopinska. And of course, you can watch the full documentary of Murders and Their Mothers, Joachim Kinehawa on CBS Reality. Next time, it's Robert Black, the child killer who was every parent's nightmare. From me now, Donald McIntyre, it's goodbye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.